Thank you for that reminder. Thank you for being here in our house of worship today because our spiritual growth together, it is a group project as we come together in the Lord's presence, as we learn and grow together, as we read and understand God's word and learn to put it into practice, and as we fellowship in this gospel together where we build one another up in the holy faith and the communion of the saints. Um, we're in our series called First Peter, and it says uh, the, the tagline of our series is living in a hostile environment. Peter's writing to a group of Christ followers in the first century in the modern country of Turkey, all these different provinces that he, that he lists in his greeting, who are living in a place where it is not easy to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, apparently, right now, what I was reading, it's not easy to be a follower of Jesus anymore in the nation just to the north of us in Canada. Forty-five churches have been burned in this last month by people for some reason who do not like the Christian faith and do not like the church. And uh, we pray for our Canadian Christian brothers and sisters that they hold fast and stay faithful despite what's going on up there. But thank God we were just praying on our worship team up here before the church started that uh, we thank our God. We're grateful to be able to live in a nation where we are free to worship and to grow in Him, even though that may not last forever, even though may, the days ahead in the future may grow more difficult for us. Uh, right now, we have this awesome freedom to worship. So let's get right into the message. Now, last week, we were talking about the holiness of God. Last week, Peter actually had this audacious command as an apostle of Christ to, to God's people. He says, be holy for I am holy. And so we learned last week that one of God's desires for us is he wants us to desire to seek him, the beauty. It says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness to see how amazing and beautiful our God is and that holiness is a is a huge part of God's character and that we would desire to be like him. And if we're going to be like Jesus, like God, then we are going to grow in holiness. We're going to be more and more set apart from this world and from uh, the darkness that is around us. So we want to grow in the beauty of wanting to be holy like God. And then one of the ways, one of the biggest ways that we grow in holiness is through the love that we show to other people. It says your deep love for others, especially those around you who are less easy to love. Now, I don't know about you, just maybe show of hands. Is there anybody in your life that you find it, you know, not easy to love? You know, like that Western song that guy was singing, hard to love, hard to love, you know. Um, where the ones that are more challenging for us to love are actually the ones that God uses in our lives to grow us. Because as we love those who are less lovable, we become more like Jesus and we are actually becoming holy. So today we're going to go out of chapter one. We're going into chapter two. There's five chapters. We're actually making some progress in week number three. Of our series, and we're going to talk about today a new identity. And as we talk today about identity, we're going to talk about food, not physical food, although that's good. There's donuts outside right after the service is over. If that's uh, any enticement to you, lead me not into temptation. I can find it myself, you know, right out there on the right out there on the patio. Uh, but 
We're talking about a different kind of food today, not physical food, but spiritual food. And it says, Peter says in verse 2 of chapter 2, he's talking about therefore who we are in Christ. And then he says, this is what I want you to do. This is what reminds me of my new grandson, Jude. And Lisa, Lisa was holding, holding him and he said, you know what, what's so awesome about this little boy is he's so calm right now. He's so mellow. You know, newborns, they sleep a lot, and they're, they're, they seem at peace. And, uh, but in order to grow, I mean, Jude came out the womb seven pounds, four ounces, and that's going to be good for now, but it's not going to be good a month from now, right? You know, healthy babies grow, and they, they eat, and they get bigger, and you guys know how healthy babies grow. They eat. And Peter's saying in the same way, running that analogy of spiritual growth, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34 says. Blessed is the one who finds refuge in him. We taste and see. The more and more you know God, the more and more we will love God because we'll see him in the beauty of his character and his holiness. Now, I put that word spiritual in yellow because that word spiritual, uh, you would think that comes from the Greek word, all of you Greek scholars out there, that it would come from that Greek word pneuma, where we get a pneumatic tire, a tire that's filled by air, the, the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit. Pneumatikos is, is one of the words for spiritual, of the Holy Spirit. But the word that Peter uses here through Silas is not the Greek word pneumatikos. He's using the Greek word logikos from the Greek word logos. Now, you guys have been around Christendom for any amount of time. Logos is the word that means the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing that that was made was made and in him was life and in Jesus the word because it says the word became flesh so ultimately we know that the word logos John calls Jesus himself the Greeks use that word logos for divine reason for a di the divine reason of the Almighty that gives order and meaning to this word and in this case Peter's talking about the craving the pure spiritual milk, he's talking about craving, desiring the God's written word, the word of God. Some of you may be aware of a pastor down in the South Bay area. His name is John Ortberg. I was at a pastor's prayer meeting last month and Nancy Ortberg, his wife, was there speaking. Uh, John, when he was writing one of his books, he talked about seven different ways that Christians can grow in their faith. How, how do Christians who have different personalities and temperaments, how do they grow in their relationship with God? And he talked about various ways that spiritual nourishment comes to believers. It could come through a sermon. It could come through Christian music and worship songs. It can come through communion. It can come by being outdoor in God's creation. Now, when somebody says, you know, hey, when I'm out on the golf course, that's my church. You know, you ever heard somebody say like that because they're out in creation and they're seeing all the beauty that God has made and it does cause you to wonder and worship, but it's not a substitute for church. I just want to make that clear, you know, just because you did a round of golf didn't mean you got your church in for the week. So uh, 
But being outdoors, enjoying God's creation, having rich fellowship and friendship with other believers. And when I say Christian fellowship, I don't just mean like, hey, how about them giants or how about them A's? How are they doing? That's not talking about spiritual things. Real fellowship is where we build each other up in the faith as we share what God is doing in our lives. You know, there is another way, and I found this out from my in-law, Jude's other grandfather, Artie Vangaloof. Artie Vangaloof worships God best by serving. Maybe that's how God has wired you. You feel closest to God when you are able to serve other people, when you're able to make a difference in this world. I wonder if Chris White is wired that way when he does the Barnabas ministry all the time. People who grow closer to God by serving other people. Maybe uh, uh, another way you grow closer to God is by seeing injustice that is in this world, seeing like, like for instance, Christine Kane and her A21 ministry where they try to rescue uh, p- young people out of sex trafficking that's going on in the world and they see that happening and something just wells up inside and says, we have to do something to stop this. And so they are active in that way. But many different ways that, di- that Christians of different temperaments and personalities that we can grow in our relationship with God. Nevertheless, Peter says, here's the primary way. I, I remember a story. I was at this Rocky Mountain getaway with uh, high school and college students in Colorado with Campus Crusade for Christ. This was in the early 80s, and they had this guy, Ray Schmaltz, and he used to be an NFL football player. And so he's this big guy, and he gets up, and he starts talking about uh, a time when he led a group of students in the summer down in Southern California, and all they did most of the summer long was they went along the beach, and they shared the gospel. They shared the good news of Jesus Christ over and over. And one of the, one of the teenagers came to faith in Jesus early in the summer, and by the end of the summer, they had a big uh, bonfire out there at Corona Del Mar Beach, and they were celebrating what God had done. And this young man who had just become a believer weeks before was starting to say some amazing spiritual things. And come to find out, he had been reading his Bible every single day. He had read through the Bible during that summer, the entire Bible. He was so fascinated with the Word of God. And God was revealing things to him, and he was saying all this spiritual truth. And this lady that was kind of sponsoring the group, she came up to Ray at the end. She said, you know what? I'm mad at God. And Ray said, well, why are you mad at God? What did he do? And he said, well, I'm mad at God because I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. And I, and I can't say things and know things that this guy over here, this young man, and he's only been a Christian like two months, and he's already saying that. Why is God doing that with him and not with me? And I've been walking with Christ for 20 years. And you know what the young man who heard her said? He said very humbly to her, he said, well, sister, I guess we don't grow just day by day. We grow word by word. Bam! (laughs) I, I, I don't know what the look on her face was after that. He just finished the story right there. But that's how we grow. He says, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Paul, when he when he finished his time together with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he, warned, he said, shepherd the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He said, savage wolves are going to come in and attack the church. You've got to guard the church and protect it, church elders. And then he said, at the end, he said, now I commit you to God 
and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among the saints. That's how we get built up by the word of God. Craig Rochelle is a pastor of Life Church, one of the biggest churches in the country. And, and he wrote, and I read it this week, he, he was talking about discipline. He said, discipline, and that's, by the way, the word disciple is in that word discipline. Discipline is the bridge between who you are and who you want to become. And so one great discipline, friends, that we can grow as a follower of Christ, a great discipline is to read from the Bible every single day. If we're going to do that, it's, uh, Peter says in verse 1, you're going to have to put aside some fleshly carnal pursuits and you're going to go after some spiritual pursuits. The craving for spiritual food denotes intense desire. That's why he uses the word crave. He uses the word crave. Those of you who struggle with food, like your foodies, and maybe you struggle with food issues, you know what it means. You know what it's like to crave a certain food. Oh, I just got to have that. I got a Tans Donut shop right down the street from my house. I know all about what craving food is all about. So Peter says, crave pure spiritual milk of the word. That's the word logos. And, and um, here's another uh, quote from Jesus in John's gospel. Jesus is talking to the spiritual leaders, the Jews of his day. And he said, my father's at work and I'm also at work. And they tried to pick up rocks and stone him because he, was, he had the audacity to call God the Almighty his, his own father. And so in that same conversation at the end, Jesus says to them, and this is really convicting. He says, he says you study, this is John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. He says to the Jewish leaders, he says, you study, and that is literally the Greek word scrutinize. You scrutinize the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, you may hear that and you may say, Jim, I thought you were telling us to study and read and meditate and memorize the Word of God. Uh, it sounds like Jesus is saying uh, maybe that's not such a good thing because you can become bible alters, you know, worshiping the Word of God rather than the God behind the Word. But the point of, the, of reading and studying the Word of God is to get to know God better, to get to know Jesus better because those scriptures testify about Him. We want to get to know Jesus better through his revelation, through the logos of the word of God. In fact, Peter's saying, if you will learn to yearn and to crave the spiritual food that is good for you, he says, that's how you're going to really grow up in your salvation. The Apostle Paul echoes that in the Colossian letter to the church there. And this is, uh, if you're a navigator, you know all about this verse. This is the main uh, scripture that the navigators use in their ministry. And it says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Get to know Christ better. Find your roots in Him. Read His Word. Know Him better through the revelation of His Word. 
Are you doing that? Are you picking up and reading God's Word, the Bible, every single day? Are you at least listening to it on Audible? Are you hearing Christian messages, perhaps on the radio? Are you listening to the Word of God, perhaps through music, like my, my friend Becky does all morning long with uh, K-Love Christian Radio? And she gets it all the time. In fact, one of the great things about K-Love is they quote from the Word of God all the time. So here, here's the deal. Crave pure spiritual milk. Grow up in your salvation. The next time, friends, the next time you open up to read your Bible, think about this. Think about, what, God, what kind of attitude should I have as I open the Scriptures and I'm ready to read them? Because I don't want to just read them. I don't want it to go in one ear and out the other. I don't, I don't want to just read it like James says, and it's like a, like a man who looked in a mirror and then immediately looked away and forgot what he looked like. You know, he says, you know, you need to read God's word and think about it, put it into practice. How can you prepare yourself as you read the Bible? Well, number one, Psalm 119. There, that's a great, that is probably one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible about a man who absolutely loved the word of God. And he says in this, in verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law that the Holy Spirit would give you revelation as you're reading God's Word. Psalm 119, one, uh, uh, 105, it should say, verse 105. It says, your word, God, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And then finally, talking about memorizing Scripture, not just reading or studying or recounting it or meditating on it, but actually memorizing. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Think about Jesus out in the desert getting tempted by the devil three different ways. How many times did Jesus come back? What was his reply to Satan whenever Satan tempted him? It is written. Scripture says, and I pretty much guarantee you that Jesus didn't have the scrolls right there with him as he's out there in the desert for 40 days in the wilderness. He had God's word hidden in his heart. And he was able to reply, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the biggest problem, honestly. For American Christians, if I had a knock on American Christians, one of the things I would say is we, are, we have made ourselves so busy, too busy for our own spiritual health, too busy for our own spiritual growth. I don't have time for that. I've got to get on, do what I do. I'm a, you know, oh, oh, there's a paragraph that I can read and call that my devotional in the morning. No, great. Okay, so you read that. You got one scripture. Boom, boom, boom. You're on your way. That's not exactly what I believe God had in mind when we talked about a daily reading of his, of his word. Your spiritual health is at stake. Therefore, crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Now we're going to transition. We're going to transition from desiring the word of God to understanding our new identity in Christ. On YouTube, where many good things can be found, I found, the, I found a, uh, a file called The Bible Project, and it has this guy who really quickly draws illustrations to... Uh, illustrate and point out God's truths in First Peter. And I want you to see this video. It only lasts a minute. Give your attention. 
So he first develops the theme about the new family identity of God's people. He takes even more memorable Old Testament images about the family of Israel, and then he applies them to these Gentile Christians. So like the Israelites who left Egypt, they too are to gird up their loins and leave behind their former way of life on the way to a new future. So they are the holy people of God now who are journeying through the wilderness. They are the people of the new Exodus who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who's the ultimate Passover lamb. They are the people of the new covenant who have God's word buried deep inside them, restoring their hearts and renewing their minds. They are the new temple built on the foundation of Jesus himself, and they're the new kingdom of priests who are serving God as his representatives to the nations. Now, by applying all of these amazing images to these persecuted Gentile Christians, Peter is placing their suffering within a brand new story. <laughs> Did you get all that? Oh, good. Well, I'm not going to go over it word by word, but that, that, uh, there, there is a six or seven minute video and it gives an overview of the entire book of 1 Peter. You can see it on YouTube. Look up the Bible Project and 1 Peter. You can see it for yourself. But, it, but you saw that as we get to chapter two. We're talking about a new identity and Peter's talking about a spiritual house as we come into verse four. And so Peter says these words, as you, as a believer in Jesus, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, so you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, one of my commentators, Scott McKnight, was saying he was, he was trying to help the modern reader understand. And he was saying that um, in the modern world, we think of ourselves as an individual. As an individual, God, what do you have for me? What do you say to me? How can I individually relate to you? In New Testament times, it was much more... Uh, a reality that when people talked about their own identity, they didn't say who they were as individuals. They said to which group they belonged. So which tribe do you belong to? What nation do you belong to? What culture are you a part of? And Peter is now giving some great news to people who, who were once not God's people, and now they've been made God's people. They've been grafted into the family of God through their faith in Jesus Christ. And just as the Old Testament Jewish people were considered God's chosen people, so now these new believers in Christ are chosen by God to be his people, to be his priests, and to represent him on the earth. And you can read it right there in verse 5. Peter gives a new metaphor of the church. The church is a building. This church is a spiritual house, but it's not made of brick and mortar. This building, this spiritual house is made of living stones, and the living stones are you and me. We are a living stone. So if your last name is, you know, like David Livingstone, uh, that's great, but uh, he, he, he qualifies both ways. We are still the second way of living stones of people. And Peter says, and just as we are called a spiritual house, so we are also given a priesthood 
in the New Testament. I don't know if you realize that. That's this, this verse right here, by the way, this is where Martin Luther absolutely loved, and this is where he developed this concept of the priesthood of all believers. You've probably heard that from Martin Luther, right? The priesthood of all believers. Every one of us is a New Testament priest. Now, if you see that graphic up close, you can see all the different details upon the garments of the high priest. But you can see that he's got a, he, he's got a, a, a head a turban on. It actually, in Hebrew, it's supposed to say, holy to the Lord uh, on his head. He's got these ephods. He's got a, a sash. Uh, the one thing that I, that I was reminded of was he has these bells at the bottom of these of this blue garment here, he has these bells. Do you, do you remember why the priest had these bells on, the high priest? So that if he goes into the Holy of Holies and he is not right with God and he gave a sacrifice for his own sins and now he's offering a sacrifice for all God's people, if God did not accept that sacrifice, he could be dead right there in the Holy of Holies and nobody could go in after him. And so apparently somebody was listening to see if those bells were still kind of jingling and chiming and that he was still moving and alive. And if he came back alive, he was fine. That's how, how um, in a way, uh, reverent the, the high priest was supposed to be to God. And then, of course, bringing the incense to God. If you read Revelation chapter 5, it says that the incense of God in the New Testament are the prayers of the saints. They are going up like holy incense before God. And so Peter says, you like living stones, you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now we're going to unpack that a little bit more when we get down to chapter 9. But in the Christian community, just a reminder, friends, that every believer, every believer is a New Testament priest. Every single one. And so if you think, okay, so what was the job of the priest in the Old Testament? The priest in the Old Testament were, was to represent the people, to offer sacrifices to holy God, to atone for the sins of the people. That was one of the jobs of the priest. Another job of the priest was to pray for the people, to be a mediator between God's people and God himself. And so in the New Testament, in the same way, we are to do some of that practice as New Testament priests as well. Look what Hebrews chapter 13 says. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Now, thank God for Ula and Jephti and Raul because they led us to do that very thing, offering to God a sacrifice of praise. And then, of course, the writer goes on. He says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, remember the priestly language here, you're offering to God sacrifice. When you also do good and share with others, you're in a way, you're sacrificing of yourself. You're giving to God and God is pleased with those kind of sacrifices. But let me show you a hidden gem about being a New Testament priest. And it comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. And I, when I learned this in Christian college, this one absolutely blew me away and I want to share it with you. Paul's writing to the Romans. He's, he's written one of the greatest letters ever written on what the Christian faith is all about. The gospel, ex exclaimed from, the, the gospel explained from soup to nuts. 
And now Paul says this, I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister, a servant, a, uh, a, a deaconess, uh, or, I'm sorry, a deacon, if you will, diakonos is the word, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. But look right here, he says, he... Christ Jesus gave Paul the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Amazing. Okay, so in Old Testament priests, you're offering dead animals on the altar to God. You're, you're atoning for the sins of the people. And Paul says, you're going to have to turn that around because in the New Testament, if you're going to be in the priesthood of all believers, part of your priestly duty is to proclaim the gospel of God and bring the Gentiles to God as an offering. Not a dead animal on the altar, but a live person who's now redeemed and saved and put their trust in Jesus. So when you proclaim the gospel and lead somebody to faith in Christ, you are acting very much like a New Testament priest of God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans chapter 15. Paul understood this concept of royal priesthood. So if he was to follow Jesus, he was to serve Jesus by being a minister to the Gentiles and his priestly duty was communicating the good news of Christ, proclaiming it so that the Gentiles would come to faith in Christ. So that is a big priestly duty for us in the New Testament. Number one, to proclaim the gospel. Bring an offering to God in two ways. Number one, a sacrifice of praise. And number two, not a dead animal, but a live person who is one to Christ. And that person now trusts in Jesus and follows him. That matters as much or more to God now than the old covenant dead animals that were given in sacrifice. Okay, so now Paul moves on to verses 6 and 7, and he says, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. God's building you up to be a spiritual house. You're living stones uh, to be in part of the brick and mortar of this spiritual house God is building. And the chief cornerstone of the whole building is Jesus Christ himself. He's the stone that the builders rejected. And that rejected stone has become the cornerstone. Reje and back to what Peter said in verse 4. Peter is so great about this. He'll introduce an idea and then he'll back off from it. And then a few verses later, he'll bring in that idea again. Remember I talked about Jesus chosen by God but rejected by men? Now he goes into a whole uh, other teaching. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Quoting from the prophet Isaiah. I thought of that praise song, Christ alone. Remember that? Christ alone, cornerstone. Weak made strong by the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord. He is Lord of all. Christ alone is our cornerstone. You know, some people in this world, they get tripped up by Jesus. He said that if you want to follow him, you're going to have to do a number of things that are really hard, really hard for what we say in our flesh, in our fallen human state, to say, you, wait, you want me to believe in Jesus? Okay, that's fine. No, no, Jesus says, I want you to follow me. Okay, I'll follow you. And if you're going to follow me, here's what you have to do. Okay, well, lay it on me. And he says, you want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to pick up your cross daily. And you're going to follow me. And I, my immediate reaction is, that sounds hard. <laughs> yeah, 
It is hard to deny yourself every day, to say, it's not, Lord, not my will be done today. I want to do your will today. There takes some self-denial every day in order to do that, and it's not going to be easy. That's why Jesus trips a lot of people up. A lot of people want Jesus to be their Savior, but they don't want him to be their Lord. I like the idea of forgiving my sins and going to heaven, but following you, denying myself, picking up a cross, the instrument of death in the first century, ah, that doesn't sound very appetizing at all. But Jesus says, if you're trying to save your own life, if you're trying to live a selfish life and still be a Christian, it ain't going to work. Whoever tries to save his life is going to lose his life. Whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus, he said you're going to find it. So we don't trip over Christ alone, our cornerstone. We follow him. We're willing to say, Jesus, I will, I will do whatever you want me to do. And you're going to actually show me that even though it seems painful to deny myself, you're going to say that's where I really find life when I follow you that way. So now Peter finally finishes out this passage that we're going to close with today, talking about our new identity. And think about this. Peter is talking about New Testament believers. When you read this, it's almost like, wait a minute. Am I reading the Old Testament or the New Testament? You, you are kind of reading both. And I'll, I'll unpack that in just a moment. Peter says, you, believer in Jesus, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. And if we've got that identity, what does God want us to do? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Four phrases that says who we are as believers in Christ. And they're pretty high-level phrases that Paul said, or Peter says, you want to know who you really are in Jesus? You're somebody. I think, people was, I think Peter was telling a bunch of nobodies in Turkey that were rejected by their own society. They might have been uh, immigrants. They might have been outcasts. They might have been on the margins, on the edges of society. They certainly weren't part of the elite in their own culture at that time. But Peter was saying, you may think you're a nobody in this world, but I want to tell you in Jesus you are really somebody. In him, you're a chosen people. You're a chosen people. You're distinct from the world. You've been unified together by the Holy Spirit, and you've been chosen to be part of God's family. Sure feels good to be chosen. Number two, you're a royal priesthood. You now have the ability to come into God's presence directly through Jesus with praise. You have the ability to intercede for others who are outside God's family. You have the ability to share your faith and bring other people as live, saved people, new members of God's family onto the altar of God as a New Testament priest. A holy nation, you are set apart for God's purposes, unique in this world. In fact, in chapter 4, we're going to get to that in a few weeks. Chapter 4, Peter says, you know, it, it's interesting. You're living in this world, and you're set apart unto God. And so how do the outsiders who are not followers of Jesus, how do they look at you? What do they think about you? And Peter says in verse 4, he says it's interesting. He says unbelievers were, quote, surprised that you Christians don't join with them in their reckless, wild living. Hmm. 
That's one of the, the things that make us holy and set apart. Christians don't join them in their reckless, wild living. Why not? Why not? Because Christ followers have a new identity. Christ followers are now belonging to Jesus, and they were living stones, and they were set apart unto him. And that's going to make them different from other people in the world. A holy nation. And then finally, number four, God's special possession. God's special possession. Why, why does God claim possession over your life? Because he bought you with a price. Right? It says, flee sexual immorality. Uh, all other sins are outside the body. This one's in your body. He says, don't you know that you are God's possession? Don't you know that you were bought with a price? The price of the blood of Jesus when he gave his life for you on Calvary? He bought you with a price. He redeemed you from slavery to sin and death. And now you're free. And he says, therefore, glorify God. Honor God with your bodies. So what do we do as this new community, unified by our faith in Jesus? We, we get to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And we're going to do that again at the end of, of the service today. You know, I told you that when I was reading 1 uh, Peter 2.9, and it talks about these, all these titles, right? It, and I was saying, is that New Testament or Old Testament? If you read this in Exodus 19... Do you, I hope you see that there are a number of parallels between what Moses said to God's people in the Old Covenant and what Peter is now saying to God's people in the New Covenant. These are God's words, God talking to the Jewish people, to the Israelites. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to, I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations... You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I have to think Peter's reading that and he says, Silas, put down these words. You are a holy nation. You are a special possession. You are a royal priesthood. You're set apart unto God. You're all those things. You have a new identity. You have a new character. So let me just recap and say, here's our two commands today, Christians. Here's our, you know, say, how then shall we live? We follow Jesus? Fine. How, first thing we do is we have to grow. We never want to stay uh, right where we are. You never stay neutral in the Christian faith. You never just stop and say, well, I've gotten this far. I'm just going to pause, and I'm going to keep what I have, and I'm just going to be here for a while, and then when I'm ready to grow again, I will grow. Christian life never works that way. It, you, you never work. You're always going in one direction or the other direction. You're either growing in your faith more like Jesus or you are, I guess that the Baptist used to say, you're backsliding. <laughs> you're, either, you're either climbing up the hill toward Jesus or you're rolling back down the hill. You never just get to put on the parking brake and say, I'm just going to pause right now. So, so you want to keep on growing. The way you do that, you grow by craving the spiritual milk of the Word of God. You're reading your Bible every day. You're into the Word, and the Word's getting into you. I love it. Number two, you're to bring an offering to God as a New Testament priest in two ways, through your sacrifice of praise and by bringing another live person who's one to Christ. Not a dead animal. That's the old covenant, but a live person who now trusts in Jesus. That's the new covenant priest, 
So let me give you an illustration about what it means to have a new identity. You guys probably heard this story if you've been around Christendom a while, but I want to tell you about Alexander the Great, one of the world's great conquerors, not a great human being, certainly not a follower of Christ, but one of the great uh, military leaders and conquerors of the world. Many times before, he and his army had engaged in very serious and important battles uh, to keep uh, taking over land as they were going to conquer the rest of the world. Uh, in one of these battles, one of his soldiers had become fearful and he fled from the battle. And it was discovered that this particular soldier, he thought he was going to die. And so instead of fighting on, he fled the scene. It was embarrassing to the rest of the Greek soldiers. Of course, that man was tracked down. He was detained. He was finally brought into the presence of the military commander, Alexander the Great himself, right? And so Alexander the Great is is questioning him. He's interrogating him. He says, what happened? And he says, well, why? he said, soldier, why did you run? And the soldier said, because I was afraid. And the next words of Alexander's mouth pierced the man. In that moment, he would have preferred a death sentence instead of another question. But Alexander asked him another question. He first, soldier, why did you run? Because I was afraid. He said, soldier, what is your name? And the guy's got, eyes got big and his head dropped and he didn't want to sell him. He said, soldier, what is your name? And he says, Alexander. He says, what did you say? What is your name, soldier? And he said, Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great looked at him and he said, soldier, you either change your name or you change your conduct. You either change your name or you change your conduct. You know, Alexander demanded that anyone who shared his name would also act like him, would behave like him. And even more so, friends, our Savior and Lord Jesus demands the same for us. We share his name in the world. We have the name, we carry the name of Jesus with us. We've identified with Jesus as the Savior and the Lord of our hearts. So Jesus says, you have identified with me, now act like me. Let me remind you of uh, uh, famous words of Jesus. He said this. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What a great promise. But he's talking about hunger and thirst. And he says, come to me with your spiritual hunger and your thirst. Why? Because he's the bread of life. And that's where you're going to be satisfied. Friends, I don't know if you've ever taken that step of faith, not from going to just learning about Jesus, from just exploring the Christian faith, from, from a, 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 a religious inquiry, if you, if you will, from going from there to say, wait a minute, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he gave his life on the cross for me. And I'm going to now dedicate my life to follow in his steps I'm going to identify as a follower of Jesus. Have you ever taken that step? Because, friend, if you never have, then you're not really a Christian. You're not a Christian until you name the name of Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, I will follow you all the days of my life. Are you ready to take that step today? If you are, I want you to bow with me right now, and we're going to pray to the Lord Jesus himself. Lord Jesus, today I come to you in humility. I come to you in faith. 
Lord, I ask you to forgive me for all the wrongs that I've ever done or said, any hurt that I've caused anybody else, Lord. Would you please forgive me of all those wrongs, Lord? I believe that when you died on the cross, that you paid the penalty for all of my sins. And Lord, today I'm putting my trust in you. I'm dedicating myself to follow you. And I ask you to come into my heart and fill me with your love and your joy and your peace. And Lord, give me a desire for your word to keep on growing in this new Christian faith that I'm starting today. Lord, help me to learn what it means to follow you in the days ahead. Thank you, Lord, for this salvation. Thank you for new life, for a fresh start. And Lord, I, I, I pray that I'll, I will honor you with my life all the rest of my days. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Friend, if you actually prayed that prayer and you meant it and you were sincere, I want to invite you to our website, sebchristian.com. You go down on the menu and there's a, a, a little word there called connect and next steps. And you can read about some of the next steps that you can take to follow you. If you're here with us worshiping, please fill out that card and say, I, I made the decision to follow Jesus today or, or I'm dedicating myself and I want to be baptized as a public declaration of my loyalty to follow Jesus. Please do that today and we'll follow up with you and share with you in that wonderful joy. Luke, would you please come up and lead us as we celebrate communion?